0: Today we start a new series, um, and I'm actually very excited about it. It is called Origami, the Shaping of Man, and I'm very excited uh, for the next four weeks to be able to kind of engage in this, uh, look at how God shapes us and the things that he does uh, to mold us into his image. And so um, in that spirit, uh, there are little origami cranes all over the place, and in fact, you walked under about 200 of them to get in the door this morning um it's just a kind of a visual representation of something um in uh in japan there's this story have you, how many of you have heard about sadako and the thousand paper cranes anybody heard that story uh those of you that were in first service has obviously heard it some of you may have not um but uh it, it's actually a heart-wrenching story um that takes place after the bombing of hiroshima um it's it a children's book um it impacted me as a young boy. I was reading it in school. I think they used it to teach us. But anyway, um, the, the bombs fell and, and things you know, were destroyed. And this little girl, Sadaku, um, she got leukemia from uh, the radiation. Um, and in uh, Japanese tradition, and uh, there is uh, a practice that can bring you towards holiness, a practice that can give you hope. And it's to fold a 1,000 perfect paper cranes. And if you fold a 1,000 perfect paper cranes, then you are granted a wish um, in one tradition. In another tradition of the story, you are made perfect, right? Um, so Sadako in this story, uh, while she's uh, in the hospital and at home suffering with leukemia, she decides she's going to fold a 1,000 paper cranes in an attempt to be made well from her cancer. Um, she ultimately, in the story, spoiler alert, uh, she dies before she finishes the, the, the cranes. But her family and friends gather together to finish it as a tribute to her. And this is a practice that is done um, even today in Japan where you fold 1,000 paper cranes and string them just like that in groups of 40. And you hang them together. And when you have done that, then supposedly you can make a wish uh, and it will be granted to you, or uh, you will be, you know made perfect. It's this striving to have perfection, to um, shape one's life towards something. and um, it uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to do. Do you know how hard it is to fold paper cranes? Has anybody ever done it? It's challenging. And after the first two or three, you kind of get the hang of it. and then after the seventh or eighth, your fingers go numb. And folding a thousand is a very big challenge. I actually, ordered these ones on Amazon, uh, because someone else folded them, and they just come in a bag of pre-folded, and all you have to do is kind of pop them open, and it's wonderful. So thank you whoever folded those cranes, because that's crazy sauce. Um, But as we enter into this series of origami, the idea of God taking nothing and then folding it and shaping it into creation, and folding it and shaping it into humanity, I thought we would experience it a little bit ourselves. So if you haven't already, um, grab your piece of origami paper that's in your bulletin. If you don't have a bulletin, um, then... Does everybody have a bulletin? Who needs a bulletin? You all got them? Okay, so on the back of your announcement sheets are instructions, and we're going to do this together today. Um, Yeah, so you need a bulletin, don't you? (laughs) Oh my kids got a bulletin. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Terry... Nia needs one. Mine needs three or four. need something, all right. So we're going to fold this together, okay? Um, and uh, the end result will be a heart, and we're going to use that to kind of be our reminder for the message today as we dive into it. So I will walk you through this very simple origami folding process, okay? Now, origami is all about very precise, intentional, neat fold. So you're going to start with one point up, okay? And you're going to fold the bottom point to the top point. So you are making a triangle. Now remember, very neat, precise folds, okay? Nice and, nice and straight, good creases, okay? When you have done that and you have a triangle, open it back up again. And then after you've done that, flip it the other way, so you have the other point facing up, your crease is now pointing up and down. Take the bottom point and repeat that fold so that you now have folded two triangles. Those creases crisp. Okay. Then when you have done that, you can open it up again. Now, you have paper that folds in two directions. It's wonderful and beautiful, right? Congratulations, you're part way there, okay? now this is the tricky part okay once you have it opened and and i'm doing this backwards so you want the you want the foldy part facing you okay so it's going to look just like this to you okay you're going to take the top point and fold it to the middle of the paper does that make sense okay i gotta turn it towards me to do it so it's going to look like this like the superman diamond okay yes. there you go but we're not stopping there Okay? Once you have done that, take the bottom point and fold it to the top, flat line, okay? And you end up with, I don't know what shape that is, trapezoid, parallelogram, I don't know. It's a shape. a burrito. Burrito. You end up with a burrito. Everybody have a burrito? Okay. Not a paper airplane, Jim. It's a heart. It's a burrito. It's a heart. All right. Yeah. Everybody have their burrito? Yeah. Okay, here's where it's going to get hinky. Okay, with all the folds facing you, okay, you're going to take one corner and fold it like this. Okay, to the middle line. You're folding it up to the middle line. And then do the same thing with the other side. And if you have folded accurately, you end up with what can become a fox face in origami. Okay, this is your turning point. It can become a heart or a fox face. We are going to turn it into a heart today. So once you have this, okay, and it's facing you with the little flaps open like this, okay, flip it around so that you have a flat back and take your two little points, don't fold them over, fold them half down, okay? And then you take the corner edges, the outside edges, and you fold them in. Kind of rounds out your heart a little bit. And theoretically, if we're all origami masters today, we have ended up with a heart or an airplane. Or an airplane. <laughs> you know, my heart has
1: wings.
0: I'm so proud of all of you. Right? Now, now you can keep this heart forever and for always, okay? Um, and I want it to be a reminder for you about what we talk about today. Because we are going to talk about how God uses love to fold you into his image. Okay? And it is love that we are going to talk about today. So henceforward, the heart, just a beautiful reminder for you. I'm going to stick mine right there. Um, there we go. Uh, we're going to be all over in scripture today. Um, but what we're going to focus on is the idea of love and how God's love is how he shapes us. It's the first thing that we ever encounter in our life. It's the first thing that ever lays hold of us. It's the very first thing that shapes us out of all of the things in the world that can shape us, and there's a lot that can shape us. God shapes us for sure, but our family shapes us, right? And um, our employers can shape us, and the general culture of the world can shape us. There's a lot of forces that try and fold us into images, but scripture tells us not to be conformed to the patterns of the world, right? But to be renewed in our mind and made in the image of God. And this is where we really want to know how God folds us. What were the folds that he made and how do we live according to those? The first Thing that we need to know. This one's rough around the edges. I'm just gonna put that out there. You might read this and go, uh know if I like this. But bear with me because it is essential to who we understand God to be and who we understand us to be, is that God made us but doesn't need us. Right? So so it means this: we are not the center of the universe. Okay? It does not revolve, I know, right? It's, It's mind-blowing. It does not revolve around this guy, okay? Or any of you, for that matter. We're all in the same boat. God made us. We're part of his creation, but he doesn't need us, meaning he doesn't rely on us to provide for him. He doesn't um, look to us for great pearls of wisdom in times of trial. When he's up there in heaven... He doesn't call down on the red line to humanity and say, what do I do next, right? He is God, we are creation. And there is something very essential about this truth. We have to remember this, otherwise we like to elevate ourselves to a position that we should not be or try to be in. God made us, but he does not need us the way that we need him. Okay? Does that make sense? So so let's unpack this a little bit. Acts chapter 17, 24 and 25, read this way. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. uh, This is just kind of framing it for you. He's the guy in charge, okay? Um, He does not live in temples made by man. Try and put them in a box. You can't. You can't shove God into any preconceived notion. This verse tells us that God is God and we cannot fold him into our image. As hard as we try, he will always be God over everything and we will always be his creation. And even if we try to make God in our own image, it'll never work. He is always above us in superiority and glory and honor and everything. He cannot be folded by our hands. We cannot confine him in a box. We cannot limit his ways or his wisdom. He is Lord over everything. But it continues. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Right? Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So he gives us everything we need he made us it was the original origami back in the garden um in fact before the garden back the fact train up when God was sitting among nothingness he said I'm going to take formlessness and shape it I'm going to give shape to a formless void in fact I'm going to separate the expanse and create land And not land. I'm going to fold mountains to hold in the waters. I'm going to fold the sun and the stars. This is what he's doing. He is creating something with his hands, he's making it unique. And then, once he had the stage all set and he said it was all good, in the garden he walked and he found a pile of dirt and he formed it with his hands. This was a really active kind of thing. He got down in there and he got his fingers dirty and he made the shape of Adam and he breathed life into Adam. This is like God origami, okay? He made us, but not because he needed us. So the question is why? Why do we exist? Why did he make us? Why did he make us different than the rest of creation? Why are we not like a duck? Right? That's funny, but like it's a good question. Why are we not like a rock? What sets us apart from the rest of creation? It's the fact that God poured his spirit into us. It's the fact that God gave us the gift of relationship with him, communication with him, and this immense love. God made us doesn't need us. He made us from his love, though. Back in the beginning, before there was time, Elohim, God, the plurality of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, hovering above the formlessness, right? Made everything there was to make, and then said, now I'm going to make someone to share my love. Everything else basked in the love, of god but now god was going to make humankind to share in his love to experience his love and so we were born out of god's love we get this image in kind of a pale picture kind of way but marriage is this image And procreation is this image. It's the idea that when a couple comes together in a great act of love, there are children made. Now, parents, you don't rely on your children for sustenance, do you? Like, they don't serve you. You don't go to your children and say, I need some wisdom on this topic. How should I proceed? Right? It doesn't work like that. God doesn't need us, but out of love... He made us. In fact, Scripture tells us God is love. Everything God does is from love. It's the core root. If you could get to the very heart of who God is, God is love. A just mind-blowing amount of love. Everything he does is based on love. Every action he takes, every act of forgiveness, every act of creation, every, everything is centered around love because it's who he is. This is, in fact, the center of the gospel. If you only tell someone something, one thing about the gospel of Jesus, if you only have 10 seconds to tell someone one thing about God to help shape, fold their identity towards God, just tell them God is love, and he loves you no matter what. takes less than 10 seconds. But that's the most important thing we can tell people. God loves you. He made you. He is love. He will never stop loving you. Here's what it says in Jeremiah. I have loved you, God says, with an everlasting love. In the children's storybook Bible, it says... That God's love is a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever kind of love. I like how they phrase that. I think it's a beautiful phrasing. Everlasting. It means it's never going to run out. There's nothing you can do to escape from God's love. God is going to always love you, always and forever, until the end of time. It's at the very root of who he is. He brought you into existence from his love. And now you get to walk in the midst of his love forever and for always. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued in my faithfulness to you. Meaning because God loves you so much, because he has formed you in his own image, he has formed you out of love, he will always be faithful to you because of his love. Not because you earn it not because you've done things to please him or not please him, but because he is faithful to those whom he loves and he loves all people. So it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or what you've said or not what you've not said and all the things that have happened in life that have maybe caused wrinkles, you know? And you sometimes end up feeling more like, I think that might've been supposed to be a, a bird And we go around life thinking, maybe I'm not worth God's love. Maybe I'm too damaged for God to use me. Maybe he doesn't see what he saw when he first made me. But the reality is, God can take all of that and restore it and make it new. And it won't look like this crinkled paper bird anymore. But he actually makes new with his love because it's never stopping his love. Always refreshing you, always making the perfect fold to form you into His image. The psalmists write this: "For you formed me in you formed my inward parts; you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made." It's this idea that God knew you before you were ever born. He didn't just know you; He planned for you. He had a wonderful idea. And in speaking about myself, before time ever began, God said, I've got a great idea. I'm going to make Peter. He's going to be a little bit awkward, kind of skinny. He's going to go bald early. I cannot wait to make him. And then he did whatever he needed to do with his authority and love and compassion and in creativity. And he made atoms come together that he made and cells to divide and dna that formed exactly what he wanted to make this this is his plan he planned this and he planned you guys you are fearfully and wonderfully made with intention with purpose god designed you for a reason and the original language the greek here fearfully and wonderfully made. The Greek says, you are God's poema. You are God's poem. You're a love song from the heart of God into all of creation. God, when he made you, sang a song that is unlike any other song in the world. It's your unique song that God sings to you in love, and out of that song came your life. That's why when scripture says, and I think it's in It's in Zephaniah, right? Um, That he will exalt over us with singing. And he's singing a love song. And it's the one that brought you into being. And it's the one that sustains your life and keeps you going in that direction. God loves each and every one of you individually. You are not a number to God. You are not folded and thrown into a pile. God cares for you. It continues in the psalm. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. I wasn't even alive yet, and you saw me. That's pretty cool. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them i.e. before time began, before you lived, before you were a thought in anybody else's mind, because there was nobody else on earth. Before time began, God had this great idea to make you at a specific time in history with a specific set of gifts, to look a specific way, to have specific days to be folded into the shape of his image. Let us make man in our image, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's a reason it's plural, because the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, have an immense amount of love among themselves. It defines who they are. And when they said, let us make man in our image, they are saying, let us make man in love, out of love, folded into the shape of love, right? God made us to share his love. This is twofold pun intended okay? Um, one that we are to share his love mutually with him. we receive love from him and we actually return love to him. Scripture tells us that we love because God first loved us. We would not be capable of love if he didn't fold it into our very creation. So God gave us a gift of love. And because of that, we get to walk with God and talk with God and experience the Holy Spirit. And it's this beautiful, wonderful relationship that we are invited into. But we are also called to share that love with other people who don't yet know him. So scripture would tell us this in Romans 5.5. 5, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So imagine for a moment, and you can do this, right? We're actually not gonna do this because it's very complex. But there is a 3D way of folding origami. Um, I can't wrap my brain around it. I just don't think like that. But you you can Google 3D origami and they're three dimensional shapes out of one piece of paper. It's mind blowing. you can actually fold origami cups and buckets and kinds of stuff. I, I, I don't get it. I don't. It's just so cool. And I watch the YouTube videos and they're like, fold here and fold here and poof, there's something. And I'm like, I have a square. Um, and, and, but here's this to say, when God made you, he folded you into such a shape to receive the love that he would continually pour in your direction. God is a giant, endless bucket of love. And he is consistently tipped in your direction. Have you ever thought about that? That he will never run out of love because it's who he is. He's self-sustaining. He will always have love. And then he pours, he chooses to pour his love directly into your heart. There's no third party here. It doesn't get filtered through anything. It goes directly from the heart of God to your heart. It is the most powerful form of love you can ever have, God's love. And scripture tells us He pours it into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who is our gift. Not only do we get God's love, but we get the Holy Spirit. This is when it comes to sustaining our life. This is one of the ways that He shapes us, and we'll talk about this in coming weeks how the Spirit shapes us. It's a beautiful picture, but God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever kind of love, right? Which means we won't ever run out of God's love, will we? If he is a self-sustaining bucket of love, pouring our direction, we will always be, as the psalmist said, with our cup overflowing. And if our cup is overflowing, there must be a purpose for having more love in our life than we can actually saturate ourselves with. So that means that we need to share our life. This is what Jesus says and if Jesus says I command you to then what should we do? We should do it. Jesus says this is my commandment love one another as I have loved you. Jesus loved us by forgiving us Jesus loved us by sacrificing himself for us. Jesus loved us by turning the other cheek when we wronged him. Jesus loved us by pursuing reconciliation when we didn't want it. Jesus loved us by healing us. Jesus loved us by praying for us. Jesus loved us in so many ways. And he says, I loved you in those ways I command you to go love other people in those ways. And we think that's a very overwhelming kind of concept. How could I possibly love people who wrong me? How could I possibly pray for my enemies? How could I possibly turn the other cheek? How could I possibly seek reconciliation? And the answer, the answer is back in this verse. His love is being poured into our hearts. And in the original language, if I remember correctly, this is an active word. It is being poured into our hearts. It was not poured and stopped because he's a continual bucket of love tipped in our direction. Um, But God's love is continually being poured out on you, into you, through you, and to other people. So he will saturate you fully so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt your identity is formed by the hands of God folded to be a bucket to overflow with love. And then with that identity of being loved by God, you then have really no excuse or reason not to go out and share that love with other people. Wherever you go, it should naturally overflow. Your cup overfloweth with every step and every word and every action that you take, and that is a holy, sanctified life filled with the Holy Spirit and the love of God. Everywhere you go, Taking God's love with you. When we study the definition of sanctification, it means to be made holy. That's what the word breaks down to. Um, one of our early church founders, Mildred uh, Weinkoop, um, I have her book. Um, it's called the Theology of Love, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a phenomenally challenging read. But it really dives into what does it mean to be sanctified? What does it mean to be made holy? Um, What does it mean to actually be perfected in God? Because that's something we're all striving for, right? We want to be more Christ-like. What does that actually mean? It means to know the love of God fully and to live it fully we are found in perfection when we are truly loved and we truly love as god loved us you want to know what it's like to be formed into the image of christ and be made holy and sanctified Um, it looks exactly like this love one another as christ loves you and in that you find perfection in your life love perfects you in and out it smooths out all the wrinkles all the dents, all the accidental creases, the ones that you made and the ones that the world impressed upon you saying this is what you should really look like or oops, I'm not quite sure what that was supposed to be. God takes all of that and with his love makes it perfect. You are folded by the very love of God. Every crease exactly as he wants it. Every fold intentional. No mistakes, no second guesses. And you were formed in his image, the image of love. This is how he designs you to be. This is how he longs for you to live. You will be most satisfied in life when you live this commandment out, knowing that, one, you are loved. You are made to be loved by God. Two, you have a love inside of you, that other people desperately need. And God desires you to share it with people. I'm going to go ahead and pray. The worship team will come up and lead us. And we have some communion elements available. If you so desire to partake today um, in what the early church called the love feast. Um, We don't call it that. We generally call it communion. The Lord's Supper Um, we have a handful of elements available but in the early days after jesus was crucified died buried and rose again his followers gathered together in the example that he set. he said do this in remembrance of me and they would have a love feast is what they called it where they would get together and they would celebrate the love of god and they would partake in the body and the blood of jesus christ And people who did not know Jesus were very confused by this love feast. They didn't understand what was happening. But we who know God's love know that this is a meal where we say, God did the greatest love that ever could have been done. He gave his life for us to purchase us back from the domain of darkness, to erase our sins off the record and to give us life, to enable our hearts to be open to the love, to be poured in continually from heaven to us. So as we worship, if you desire to come partake, please do so. If you wanna worship God from your seats, please do so. But know among all other things this morning, God is love and he loves you. You are not a mistake, you exist for a reason. So let God show that to you this morning. Father, we love you, but we are only able to love you because you first loved us. You didn't need us, but you wanted us. You wanted to share love with us and life with us. Lord, I pray that no one in this room would leave today without knowing, really knowing how much you love them on a personal, real, individual level. I give you the glory for what you're about to do in the hearts of the people here